Hi there, and welcome to season two of the African Business Stories podcast, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I'm your host, Ikego Koye, and on the show today, I'll be chatting with celebrity chef and restaurateur Siba Ntogana. Siba is the co-founder and CEO of the Siba Co., a food solutions and innovation company in South Africa. We talk all things food. We explore her journey of following her gut and deep intuition to seizing opportunities she never planned for and the highs and lows of partnerships. It was a great way to start the season. Let's get into it. Hi, Sibo. Welcome to African Business Stories. Thank you for having me. Uh, such a pleasure and such an honor. Love speaking my story into the lives of others. Thank you. Um, so, so I know that you were you were born and raised in the Eastern Cape in, in South Africa, and I read something about the area not always being called Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. So, so what's that about? All right. So, um, so South Africa has lived under an apartheid era for many years, and we got mm-hmm. our, um, our independence in 1994. So, before that, we were called the Eastern Cape. Uh, but shortly thereafter, there was a renaming of many cities, towns, etc. And the town in which and uh, that I come from was also renamed. We're now called the Buffalo City. So hmm. it's not new. Um, it's 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 not an isolated incident. Incident. Okay. For instance, you know the the Johannesburg um, Airport got renamed to becoming the OR Tambo. Um, it right. gave um, recognition to the to the to the people who were part of the core struggle who liberated us and many others. You know, we've got many other um, street names, etc., that were renamed thereafter, just to give a new identity to sure. um, to the new democracy that we have, and uh, to almost. Um, take away the old identity in order to make sure that we start on a good footing. It was an excessive exercise when it started, but I do think it was necessary specifically for many of us. Um, right. We, you know, it relates to us and it relates to a country. Hmm. It's it's quite it's quite incredible. Sometimes we forget how new democracy is in, in South Africa. I mean, it was only 1994 that all South Africans could, could vote. Isn't that just incredible? Yes. Um, and I mean, South Africa has come a long way, and so have you. And I, I, I read, congratulations, that you, you catered for President Ramaphosa's inauguration in, in 19, 2019. Um, so, so what was that like? How did that come about? And what was that like? Oh, my goodness. So it was just a, I'm a believer. I'm a woman of faith and have always been and come from, you know, generations and generations of um, uh, believers in my family. So what happened was I was down in Cape Town, which is where I'm based in South Africa. And I was working, uh, we were working on a project and many other projects at, at the Sibaco, which is my company. And we got a call. I got a call from the presidency in Pretoria. Then they hmm. said, um, Siba, uh, you know, the president is asking for you to come. And literally they summoned me and my team to go up and they gave us about three days. I could not believe it. I thought first it was my friend just, you know, playing a prank on me. It was just too big um, to be to to be real. And it was such a beautiful time because I remember it was 2019. We got a call on a Thursday 
And that Sunday, um, that Sunday, that following Sunday, it was Mother's Day. And, you know, I was going through the most at the time where I had just lost my mom, I think two months prior. And it wow. was, you know, it was such a hard time. And that was, that would have been my first um, Mother's Day without her. And I got this call and was I was supposed to have uh, to leave on Mother's Day to go and now cater, not even cater, but, you know, curate everything from start to finish at uh, the entire inauguration for the president. And I thought, you know, it just, it came, it came to me. I didn't apply for it. Um, the people that got the, the tender or that got the, the job, the presidency was not happy about, and they just wanted somebody who can round everything up, round everybody up and really give such a beautiful experience to all the presidents 450 bespoke guests coming so i went up and i always say it was such a beautiful distraction <laughs> you know my emotions and right. my hurt and my loss and my grieving etc it gave me like the most amazing two weeks of having to meet the president in the process of having create the most bespoke menu, put yeah. a team together. And in Africa, and in South Africa specifically, we, you know, we always say an event, which is Iteko, is known by its food. Mm. <laughs> so food is always a very important part of any event. So it was a very big one. And I'm always grateful that I got the opportunity to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. So young Siba growing up in Eastern Cape, what did you aspire to be when you were growing up? Growing up, I aspired to be the the first female president of our country. Because <laughs> remember, I grew up, uh, 10 years of my life, grew up in the apartheid era. I, I still I vividly remember, you know, the, the time, uh, you know, and the things that used to happen in the township at the time. I have a very strong memory um, of that. Um, so, and also because the country was very politically driven, um, specifically in my formative years. So, um, uh, politics were quite big and I really wanted to be that. And I loved Nelson Mandela and still do the late, you know, our forefather, uh, Nelson Mandela, I really mm. loved him. And besides that, my parents had their own dreams and aspirations. And they've always said, uh, each time someone would ask me, so what are you going to be? They'll all say, gonna be a doctor so I in, intuitively took that and I thought I was going to be a doctor I thought I was going to be a lawyer and to be honest never in my wildest of dreams did I ever think I would even be a, a you know a person in the culinary space a chef a food scientist a nutritionist which is what I studied so I absolutely had no idea that I would end up in what I do now I did think perhaps because I loved movies and I loved acting and I used to act in my early days as a as a young child um, in things, etc. I thought maybe I might be an actress, but the dream of my heart, <laughs> what I wanted to be, was either being a president or a missionary. So I was either going to be like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> I wanted to be like uh, Ter uh, Mother Teresa. <laughs> wow! What did you study in university? I studied food and consumer sciences, and I majored in food science and nutrition. And within that, we had culinary arts as well. So. Okay was a how it happened was you know I was the resident chef in my home and it was <laughs> always quite you know they knew that I'd be the one cooking I really I loved experimenting from a very young age but even back then my uh, my parents you know were would never entertained the idea that I could ever do food as a career understandably so because the only uh, people that did food in our um, in in our community 
where people who were in a way forced to do it because they were either, you know, um, illiterate or did not have opportunity to go to school and therefore they'll end up in the kitchen and hmm. I call it that slaving away um, um, and working very hard, long hours, etc. but not necessarily maybe owning a restaurant, etc. So it was not an, uh, something that was uh, aspirational that one would even inspire to become. I remember when I said to my parents that I want to do food as a, as a, as a career, they were very upset at me because they felt like I was throwing my life away mm. and I was almost not serious about my career and the path I wanted to take. And they thought this is just a gap year and it's something that is going to pass, but they didn't see me, you know, really taking it seriously as, as seriously as I did to such an extent when I wanted to do my, my bachelor's degree in food and consumer sciences, they were unhappy. In fact, my mother, um, I remember, you know, her putting her fist on, <laughs> on a surface in our kitchen counter as we were having the conversation. And she said to me, you know, we've worked so hard to get your girls out of the kitchen. Now you voluntarily want to go back. Like of all things to do, you volunteer to go and be in the kitchen. Why can't you just make choose a better career for yourself in order to make sure you are secured financially and otherwise? Which I understood where she came from. But, you know, when you just have that deep intuition that you must do this without even understanding why. But I just, I, I begged my parents to allow me to do it and they did. So were there any role models at the time or this was just really just, like you said, deep intuition? Was there anyone you looked at and said, I want to be like this person? This person, not really. You know, locally, it, it wasn't. Um, locally, it wasn't because my dreams and aspirations were that I wanted to, you know, have a food business, restaurants, etc. I remember there was a lady who has just recently passed away, uh, passed on rather. Her name is Dora Sitole. She was food editor for True Love magazine. So within the media space, I knew her. Uh, but I didn't even aspire really at the time to go into food media, but I appreciated what she did. And then... There was the likes of Jamie Oliver, which I used to watch on television because, um, I mean, we there was a lot of um, shows from Europe, from America that were into South Africa. I'm sure yeah. it's the same with you, um, you know, uh, from uh, Nigeria when you were growing up. So lots of shows from, you know, that side of the world, from America, lots of shows from the UK, etc., that were syndicated. So, you know, I would watch them from afar and really love them. But I, it wasn't to say that I watched them wanting to be like them, but it was of just appreciation. Right. It's very similarly to if, for instance, you, you are a sports person and you love a specific a soccer star or footballer or rugby or whatever your sport is, you'd love them, but not necessarily to say that that's what you want to be ultimately. So I just enjoyed watching them. So I never had role models uh, from, from that perspective. And that's why my parents really find it hard to, to allow me to because they, there was no mm. reference point. There was nobody that they could say, oh, who's at least who's like me and you, who was black, uh, who was very successful w w successful within that. And their worry was that uh, as, a, as a young woman, I would slave away in the kitchens and, you know, w and not make money. And, you know, that was their biggest worry. And, yeah, I'm so happy they allowed me to do it. <laughs> I know. I know. So, so you finished university 
and you have this degree. So, so what next? So finished university, have the, my degree. And next, I got offered a job at my uh, at the university where I went to be a, a lecturer. Okay. So I was already a tutor. I was already helping, you know, uh, first and second and third year students. In, in each grade, I went higher. I would help grades below me. Uh, so I had already been doing it, I think, for two years, but studying on a part-time basis. So they offered me a position of being a junior lecturer, wanted me to study first that in order for me to be like a fully fledged lecturer uh, for you know food science and nutrition and I did it for two years I think and I just got tired because I just felt like I wanted to go into industry you know your teachers became your colleagues it was the same environment it was really the opportunity was great but it was not necessarily what I wanted at the time I just felt like one need, need really needs to go into industry so that they can teach not only from the book or from theory, but they can teach from experience. And I found other students did not really respect, you know, your opinions, etc., because you didn't have the experience. And I hated that because I had already proven myself of, you know, being there. And I thought, ah, let me just go. So I left. Um, I, I declined the offer to study further and for them to give me the permanent um, junior lecturing job. And guess what? I was without work for nine months. Wow. <laughs> and uh, secure the first job before you move on to the other one. That nine months of being unemployed almost went back um, to what my mother had always said. Are you sure this is the career you want? Are you sure right. you know, that you don't want to be a doctor or you don't want to be a lawyer or you don't want to be X, Y, Z? And I decided to stay in Cape Town and not go back to the Eastern Cape or to the Buffalo City at home simply because I didn't want to hear Mama saying, um, you know, she would never have said it, but she would have given me the look that says it. Uh, <laughs> you know, African mothers and their looks. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then I and then I decided I'm not going to go back home. I'm rather going to find work. Doesn't matter what kind in Cape Town. I ended up being an assistant, working as a salesperson in a boutique hotel. I really loved my job there, but it was not my full passion. You know, I was very diligent. They really loved me. They offered me a managerial position. I declined them three times because my worry for my worry was that. I've now I've got a degree in food and consumer sciences that is my true passion and my worry was that I could not trust myself with money that you know they're going to give me money um that is far beyond what I will probably get as a, a junior in my industry I don't like to put myself in 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 spaces of temptation that could take over my vision or take you know temper with me or or what my plans are. So I decided, right. which was in hindsight, I mean, I was only 20 or 21 at the time. I was very young, 21, was very young to have such a, you know, clear cut, focused mindset. And I think I attribute that to my parents. Um, so I declined them three times to a point where the owner of the store started now calling other organizations to say that I've got this young lady. She works for me for now because um, she works for me for now because she doesn't have a space in industry, in your industry. She's amazing. Take her. So long story wow. short, I went back to my lectures because I felt like, ah, you know what? There's nothing to lose. I wasn't asking for the job and um, that I had, you know, proudly said no to, but I was <laughs> rather, ah, oh, goodness. 
I was rather going to ask for, to, should anyone in the industry say they're looking for someone who is diligent in their work, but specifically who's in the food industry, they must just let me know. And that's how I got my first job, which was via them. I applied for a food editor position at Drum Magazine, and I got the position actually against quite strong uh, contenders. And I was their food editor for five years. So how did you then move from being an editor to to having your show on television what was that the next move so it was never the next move um i i never i to be honest i never aspired to do television at all it's okay. something that just found me uh, very similarly it was never and it was never my move to to get into food media and work in a in a in a as a food editor the most um aspirational job i wanted to do was to be a product developer for one of the biggest retailers um, we have in the country. Right. So, or alternatively, to have my own line of products, alternatively to have my own chain of restaurants. That was what I aspired to okay. have. So going into television was not um, at all part of my plans. So what happened was I was doing my sections and I, it was really growing in leaps and bounds. And people were really responding very well with my recipes and all of that. To such an extent, the food pages were number one in the in the um in the magazine whereas under norm you know people will buy the magazine because of the cover and the and the story and then after that under norm they'll buy it for fashion and for beauty mm-hmm. but with me it was obviously because of whoever was part of the story um attracting our viewers but the first section that was the most prominent in the magazine it became my section which then uh favor favor and yes. diligence <laughs> <laughs> and then which then grew um, from two pages to eight pages. Sometimes I would have even more to an extent that um, advertisers in the magazine would want to advertise specifically on my pages because they knew how popular that was. And because my pages were very popular in the magazine, I had a little bit of a name back then. My food, ed- my editors, not food editors, the, the main editors of the mm. magazine and the etc they thought we needed to extend as uh, you know uh, to have a brand extension as drum magazine and they wanted to take my 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 section and and make it into television and that's how my first show called cooking with Siba was born so literally remember that story i told you about that i went to my editors to say i want to cook with local celebrities they took that segment and i had to recreate it into television and that's when i started producing they paid me up with a production company and but the content everything came from me which was quite lovely because i'd already worked with the celebrities i'd already created the recipes and tested them and they were working so all i needed to do was to now transform those pages into television which was very hard for me and i remember when i got the you know when they said we're going to give you this etc etc i was very excited and i was very happy but when i got home and i thought about it i felt i felt very (laughs) overwhelmed I had said yes too early without even thinking. My question, my questions to myself when, you know, reality sinks was, how, how am I going to be able to do my work diligently for the magazine and for mm. the TV? And I had crying at the time, crying foul that I don't have an assistant and there's too much work, etc. cetera. So, um, so I remember I went back to her and I said, I'm so sorry. I just said yes too early. I'm, I don't think I'm ready for this. And as much as I would like to to do it, I the, the I don't think I'm not trained for television, and I just feel like I'm being uh, thrown in a thrown in a deep end. And I li- mm. I I, like, I hate failure. I like to succeed, and I feel like I'm not going to do my best doing 
both of them at the same time. And I was very emotional. Hmm. It was the first time I ever cried in, in front of my boss because I felt like I had I had an opportunity. I had said yes without cu- counting the cost or, you know, or seeing if whether I'm going to be able to do this. And now the reality was sinking in. So I went back to them and I said, and you know what? I, I had a very good boss. Um, she was um, Elmerie Reitenbach was her name. Uh, she said to me, don't worry, Siba, we'll give an assistant for the magazine and we'll give you, an, we'll give an assistant for the cooking show. So hmm. that is up so in no time i had two assistants from nine <laughs> no assistant to two assistants at the same time which was great because then it allowed me the freedom to be able to create learn tv um on the job right. <laughs> you know moving from there cooking with siba won a safta it was um entered for uh, south african film and television awards it won a safta wow. which was the first to ever win a, a, a South African uh, Film and Television Award at the time. And Media24 sold the show to the UK okay. and, to the and to America. And that's where Food Network saw me. So when it comes to Food Network, I never applied for that either. It came. Wow. So Siba, when did you then set up Sibroco? Because of course you start doing all this work and you're working on the drum magazine and the TV station. So when did you actually set up Sibroco and pull all your brands together? So now I was on television with Food Network, which was such an amazing platform. Um, I had an option of um, either signing Food Network via Drum Magazine, as in keeping working for the company, or alternatively doing it on, on my own. And I decided I want to take the venture and be on my own and see where it takes me, which was a very big one because it meant that um, I, I needed to fend for myself. And it was right. in that process that I thought, ah, I need to formalize things and then have a proper company. I started off as a freelancer. And then after freelancing, I had uh, the Ciba company, the Ciba Co. Because I knew that at some point I would need some form of structure and people that will help me with the business beyond myself. So I resigned at Drama Magazine, just to give you a timeline. I did Cooking with Siba in 2010, which it debuted that year, and 2011. And 2012, in February, I resigned at Drum because I was headhunted by Food Network. And from 2012, I freelanced for about a year. And then a year thereafter, I then decided I'm going to make it official and open my own company. But it was, it, I did not, you know, hire people and have like a team right away. It was me for a very long time, um, having to do multiple, mm-hmm. you know, how it is being an entrepreneur, having to put different hats, <laughs> you know, um, all the time um, until I got to a point where I could not carry on on my own any longer and I needed somebody to help me from a branding perspective um, and also from a di- managing of a diary, uh, my diary. And the reason why I set up the Co was to help me establish myself as a proper business and an entity beyond being a celebrity because you know i i wanted to also go back to the things i've always wanted to do which are the restaurants which are the you know manufacturing products uh and many other stuff and my my vision was that you know hopefully one day i'll be able to produce my own shows and produce my own cookbooks um, etc. And then the Siba Co. would be the mother company that will bear um, other children, if I may call it that. It will be the holdings company. And within it, we'll have publishing, we'll have all the other uh, subsidiaries under it. Yeah. Let, let's talk about 
publishing because you you have two books. The first one, my table, you you actually self-published. Yes. So so talk to us about that. I self-published my table as a rebellion. <laughs> as a rebellion to the system at the time and also to prove a point and also to just um yeah i was i was just i was heavily disappointed with the fact that the publishing industry in south africa at the time was not receptive with having uh, recipe books from a young black woman who had done amazingly i mean i was on food network i was in over 135 countries around the globe translating mm. five languages i was in every continent so i knew that my book would do well but they were very hesitant and besides being hesitant they almost believed that there was no market for black people mm. so you know i kept on saying to people they are people who cook from cookbooks but it's such that they haven't been catered in a way that speaks to them so it's not Right. That people uh, don't want to cook from cookbooks, but you have to cater with what they eat, what is what mm. speaks to them. And, you know, no one believed me. No one wanted to take, you know, there was one or two that did, but they were not financially willing to give me what I thought was a fair exchange or trade. Uh, for what I would have given in in return, so I thought I was very upset. I was a, um, if you can coin me as an angry black woman, <laughs> I was angry. I was upset. I was livid. I was angry because I felt belittled. I felt undermined, and I really felt that you know, um, people that they're not seeing it. They can't see that there is a market out there because they haven't tapped in into it. They they can't. They 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 didn't see it at all. And I was adamant to show case that I'm going to do this book and there's going to be a market you've never thought of. And when I come back to you or when you come to me, we'll really talk money. So I did the book and, you know, I spent my heart and soul in put myself into it financially as well. I was proving like a big point to say that just because it comes from a black woman, it doesn't have to be substandard. Just because it comes from Africa, it doesn't mean that it has to be poor in terms of quality, etc. So I got the best in the team. Because remember, this is what I used to do. This is actually my key. Exactly. So I went back, went, put a team together myself um, that I paid the best in the industry. And I said, I'm going to do this book. I don't have a, a lot of time. And I was pregnant actually at the time. I don't have a wow. lot of time. I'm going to give birth to this book and you're going to help me. And I'm also going to give birth to my child. So help me push my midwives. So here we are pushing. We only had, we had a very short period of time. I think about six months and we put, wow. and it took, takes two years to put a book together. But the beauty about it is that the bulk of the job was done because my recipes were tested. They were all, you know, I had already gone through the majority of the work it was now just putting it together from a production perspective so i did the book and it did really well locally um etc and the sad part um about the cookbook is that i entrusted a fellow black person who came to me and offered help from a distribution point of view who then swindled me can you believe it wow. my blood not blood is in family but umdom nyama. Umdom nyama. Umdom nyama means a black. Like my person. Yeah, 
ah, they swindled me. And, you know, the, the hardest thing was that the book won awards in China. Um, these, you know, the Gumand Awards, it was, you know, it made me the first black woman to achieve such, not just one, but two. It did everything I thought it would. But now I had to t- take this person into court because he had now swindled me of my money. So which is an, on the flip side, the, the, the hardship that often one finds in publishing. Uh, and it's not publishing per se, but rather business when you partner with uh, people who are coming to you for help. But in essence, they just want to help themselves. So it was really hard, you know, the realization of that. And but anyway, I still pushed um, on um, with the book, etc. And it did extremely, extremely, extremely well. It proved the point. <laughs> Yeah. It proved the point and et cetera. And I'm very glad that that issue was resolved. Yeah. I mean, it had to take my legal team, which, as you would know, is a, to pay any legal team is quite, uh, it can be quite an exorbitant amount. But what was nice about that experience, you know, when I prayed about it later on, I was just asking, Lord, what was that all about? Um, I needed to be less trusting in the beginning of my business career rather than you know be more trusting when i have built my empire and just give it away because i was too trusting that is one of the things that i often say to to people that you know cover your ground as much as you are able to and i always say business is not marriage right <laughs> you know, marriage is different from business because business uh, it's not a marriage where you have to stick it out, where you have to be um, more understanding because there's a lot at stake, etc. So make sure um, if you're not happy, you know, don't stick it out. Uh, rather, find the be- better partners or rather do it by yourself until the time that you can. Right. You do find that, uh, you know, where people take advantage of the less prudent. And I was most certainly less prudent when it came to business, specifically Hmm. not my art, not my craft, but when it came to business at the time, because I am the first entrepreneur in my family. I didn't have an aunt, uncle, um, anyone to go to to ask advice. I had to figure things out myself from start to finish. So I thank that experience because it really wisened me up. Now everything goes through my lawyers, um, etc. So it really gave me the, the, the shock I needed in order to be more diligent and to be less mm. trusting in business, which was what I needed. That's quite a big lesson. Thank you for sharing that. So on your on your second book. So with the second book, I did it. I did the second one because I wanted it to be a solution for, you know, young families. Okay. It's a family book where you can cook along with your children. I did it uh, because I wanted mothers who have been asking me how to do it for many. How do I do it with my kids and what they eat and, and you know, having fussy eaters and all of that. How do I do it? I placed everything um, in that book and what I and it's specifically cooking. And what I love about it is that, you know, my dream and aspirations for this book is that it will start conversations around food from a very young age um, with kids Mm -hmm. and they will grow a positive affinity to food uh, to an extent that they'll be able to make the right choices when they are older so that we can curb you know the lifestyle many lifestyle diseases that we have diabetes high blood pressure um, etc my reason for creating that 
cookbook specifically was it being a solution to the home and involving the child so that children can know about ingredients, children can know about food from an early age. That's fantastic. So the two books, are they now readily available? My table is available on Amazon. It's also available in many other platforms, online platforms, specifically an ebook for my international market. And then similarly to um, Let's Cook, Siba Let's Cook. So we've made it available in that platform. I am still looking for, um, you know, more publishers beyond my region where I can have it published as in the physical copy published uh, for other regions as well. And there there are a few that are quite promising that I'm excited about. Fantastic. That's so good. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about a whole bunch of things and, and there's something that kept coming up, the desire to, to own a restaurant or to start a restaurant. All these other things have, have come to you without you searching for them. It's like you, you finally achieved this dream that you've had for a long time. So tell us about this new venture. It's been a dream in the making for over four years, almost five um, I think um, any chef's dream is that they will one day either have their own establishment where people can enjoy their food according to their creativity and flair. And this has always been my dream since I was since I was a child. And I think it was it was always earmarked. Um, we initially wanted to launch it in 2016-2017, but I did know that the market was not yet ready at the time, and things were just not aligning as as perfectly as they needed to be aligned for uh, a concept like this. And also, I was in my childbearing years. I am a mother of four. <laughs> <laughs> I say it as though I am old and much wiser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, you know, the formative years of our marriage. I was pregnant uh, either with my child or I had just had a baby, etc. So I knew that a restaurant definitely needs you to be slightly more stable when it comes to family and your children mm. have grown a little bit more in order to afford you the time that you need in, uh, to, to take care of it. So I I knew that from the very beginning that the restaurant would be very demanding. So I wanted to make sure that the timing would be great. Now, 2020 has always been great because 2020 was the year where all my kids will now be going to school, meaning I've got the morning to myself um, and my business. But 2020 happened. We had found a restaurant and a spot and everything, a partner who was really enthusiastic for us to get into this. And we were going to start in Johannesburg because the concept at the time seemed like it it, it was far-fitted for Johannesburg rather than Cape Town. When we were hit by um, COVID in, in, in March in South Africa 2020, oh my goodness, it was devastating because it meant everything we had planned and working towards was now delayed at first it felt like it was a small delay because nobody knew that COVID would have dragged as much as it had but lo and behold we're still in a lockdown level three three in South Africa so I couldn't travel from one city to another because of the um, inter-city lockdown and then Johannesburg really became a non-starter you know that dream just got 
thrown down the drain, which was very sad because we had worked so much. But lo and behold, I had an opportunity where one of my friends, who is a, a general manager in one of the biggest hotels in, in Cape Town, invited me for dinner with the COO. And it so happened that they were looking to do something very meaningful. And here I was telling them about my dreams, my aspirations. I got a space. I was so disappointed. They're like, but hang on, we've got a space, <laughs> you know? And we spoke, we chatted, and we went into this amazing partnership. And lo and behold, the restaurant, I see by the restaurant at the Table Bay Hotel at the waterfront. The Table Bay Hotel is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's considered the best, um, the best address in Cape Town because of its beautiful views. And it, I could not have chosen a better location. Mm. And I was very, very, very happy. And I'm very excited. And the concept really of the restaurant is a, is a fine dining restaurant which celebrates African flavors, obviously rooted in South Africa because that's my heritage. It also celebrates the countries I've been in uh, where I'll take a samp, which is a dried maize meal, a staple I used to eat as a child. And I make it into uh, a samp risotto with nice, beautiful wild mushrooms. And then pair it with like a beautiful, duck leg that has been confied in an Asian sauce. Oh, wow. The food is elegant. The food is, is luscious. The food is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's not anything you would have tasted anywhere else. Uh, one of my signature things when you come to the restaurant is I make this uh, traditional steam breads. Usually you make big ones. They're very similar to bows, to the uh, to the Asian bows, which you usually stuff with uh, meat and slaw, etc., because they're nice and fluffy, but they're eaten as they are. So it's a staple I used to eat growing up, and you know everybody raves about it. But I'll, I'll serve it with nice butters, nice butters that is infused with some either parmesan or with some basil or with some balsamic vinegar or whatever it is. We change the butters quite often, so it's it's like taking African staples or. African African ingredients and just shining a uh, marrying it with another dish from another part of the world or adding something to it in order to elevate it but you know present it in the most gorgeous and the most beautiful way and I've checked in Cape Town specifically this concept it's it's nothing that anyone is doing in Cape Town so it's a mm -hmm. new flavor altogether which I think is very much needed because you know you'll get a lot of French influenced you'll get a lot of Italian influenced you get a lot of Asian or um um, I mean, I can't count how many sushi places we have in Cape Town, but you can really, it's very rare to find something that celebrates local ethnic flavors um, done in a beautiful way that is very inviting for even people who didn't grow up eating that food and presented beautifully in, in, in a five-star establishment wow. overlooking amazing spaces and that's what I wanted I wanted to elevate African food I wanted to elevate our food in the in the same way that you know a five-star restaurant would would have so that's what I wanted and it's been so well received you know many people have come I know we are in the middle of COVID so I've been very careful as to make sure we don't overcrowd and overbook the place so for instance we would book a certain number uh, and bookings are essential um, so we'd book a certain number of people and then we'll say this is our cutoff for the day uh, because we don't want we don't want to fill the sets all the time all at once right. so if, if we uh, our capacity for the hotel in and out is x we'll then take an x number of people which we know 
excuse me, are going to be spread throughout the day and not all coming in at the same time. So which has been great. And even though, you know, in, in South Africa, we've got the ban of the alcohol in restaurants because of the level of COVID we are in, but people has, have still been coming. So the patronage has just been great, which I'm very grateful for. So, so Sita, what has been the most challenging thing about building this business over the last couple of years? The most challenging thing with having to build a business um, or any business, I would think, is first experience because you know there, there are lots of lots of hoops and things that one has to go through in business that are often not taught not even in business school etc and some things you really have to experience them yourself and also business is a different skill set altogether and i think that's what often people uh, miss i think you know, I'm great at cooking. I'm great at putting flavors together. And I, I'm a great chef. I've spent so much time making sure I give, you know, my craft the all that it needs in order for me to, to be where I am. Ta- that's talent and that's also skill set, meaning a skill set from a experience point of view and from, you know, um, from a learning perspective from, uh, right. from university, etc. Now, Equally so, business is that. And I find that I went into business because I was good at cooking. And then I realized Mm. it was not enough. So being good at my core skill set and being an expert and, 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 and having expertise in that is not sufficient for you to stand in business. There's another leg that one has to have, which is business itself in, in order for you to run and operate. And it took me a while in order to um, to realize this. Also, the sad part often is not having people to guide you in making certain decisions um, early on, which which then obviously impact on your growth, etc. And I I think that's that's number one you know it's just I do find I don't I don't believe that people can't do it without mentors I, I think there's lots of mentorship out there from reading etc but it is nice to have someone whom you can speak to who can give you advice from their experience even if it's not necessarily um, food but from business uh, expertise um, so that's that. And then number two, the, you know, business needs a lot of capital. You need yeah. a lot of money for you to constantly keep on doing what you're doing. To such an extent, there was a time in my life where I thought, oh, all this work for what? <laughs> for what? <laughs> paying staff, paying rent, paying, you know, um, making sure that I'm running, paying this and paying that. You know, it's like, for what? Because you get the money, you you get all of that, but then there's a lot of reinvestment into the business itself in order for in order for it to grow. And there's often decisions that made to that need to be made, whether it's, you know, um, what kind of skill set do we need in order for us to get us there? Can we afford that skill set? Right. So the capital is uh, is what often I find can be a big hindrance. And that's why I guess having certain partnerships then help alleviate having to take all the risk yourself. But even that has its pros and cons, as any business person will tell you. So one has to mm-hmm. really think about what are you willing to let go? What are you not, uh, um, et cetera. And then there's the, the annoying bits. And, and by that, I mean being an, uh, annoying in a sense that you're a woman and therefore not expected are not given the same 
um, credit or opportunities mm-hmm. as maybe a male counterpart. And then there's a further annoying bit, which is we are <laughs> black women, which wow. you're not given the same opportunities, even though you're experienced, um, even though you're skilled as, you know, your, your white counterparts, your white male counterparts and your white female counterparts. So, you know, there's layers within business, which can be such a great motive, a demotivator if, if one um, doesn't have resilience. You know, there were many times I wanted to quit and I thought this is all too much. <laughs> this is too much. It's like, how much more can one take? of this and I need my sanity, you know, I need my sanity, my, you know, I've got kids, I could live a fulfilled life being a housewife. So I often would say that I could live a fulfilled life, not as if I don't have much to do anyway with the children. I've got four kids after all. So I could get my hands really invested in them, etc. But I think I think especially coming from South Africa, there's a greater calling on us being entrepreneurs and also coming from Africa, um, us being entrepreneurs and being entrepreneurial, not only for ourselves, but also for our community, not only for mm. our community, for, but for the greater good of an African child in the world yeah. stage. We need to show up and we need to show up strong. And I love that phrase, you know, it's very much um, everywhere, you know, Africa, your time is now. And I really believe that indeed, our time is now in a sense that um, there's a lot that world is yet to learn about us from many, many perspective, because they've mm. learned about many, you know, all the European countries, Asia, we know everything about, you know, Indian way of cooking, at least in South Africa, because we have a, a huge Indian community. Um, we know a lot about, you know, European ways, American, etc. but not a lot is known about us. So we have, we still have a lot to teach the world. Yeah. And it needs to be a story this time that is not told by someone else. We need to tell our own stories. So that keeps me moving. So Siba, this has been an amazing conversation. And um, I just wanted us to close out with, you know, uh, a reflection and, and some advice. So so in terms of your experience and, and all that you've managed to do, what do you think has been the most fulfilling thing about building this business in Africa? The most beautiful thing about building my business in Africa is the fact that um, it's, it tells a story, a beautiful story that young black women can make it in their own continent. Um, and I think that's a very important story to tell uh, because very often people would have to go outside the continent in order to find opportunities, which in itself, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because we have to find opportunities where, where we see the need to and where we don't see opportunities where we are. I mean, I left the Eastern Cape, the Buffalo City, to go to Cape Town to find an opportunity. It was still within the country, but it, you know, it drives the point of what I'm saying. So it's good to find opportunities. But the beauty about it is that I'm building the economy i am i'm i'm putting a a very strong story to the world that i as an african who is in africa grew up in africa can contend with the world at the same level um if not even more with what i do and it's beautiful and that's needed because many times people don't often have confidence in the continent and the people that come from the continent unless maybe they've gone to america or they've got affiliations in europe 
or a, or anywhere else. So I think the story I'm telling is a very strong one, and the story I'm telling is a very uh, is a very inspiring one for young Africans who are in Africa who might never have the opportunity to go overseas. So yeah, that's that's my story, and I'm invested in Africa. And you know, someone once asked me whether would I ever leave. I love my continent. I I love I I love staying in Africa, and I love being in Africa. And perhaps if an opportunity would come for me to go um, overseas, I would go, but I would definitely come back. I would definitely come back and be at home and invest further in my country and in my continent. So if you could give one piece of advice to other female entrepreneurs, what what would that be? My advice to other female entrepreneurs, especially especially those who are brown and black like me, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is that we have to move with a certain level of smartness. We do know, I do know, especially if you're from South Africa, where you come from a very racially still divided country, you'll, you know, experience certain things that that are hindrances and certain um, circumstances that are, that can be quite demeaning to you as, um, as a female. But we have to grow a certain resistance and a certain um, strength within us that says, we're going to do this no matter what. We're going to, you know, there's a song by Lyra, which I really love. It's her rendition of it anyway. She says, something inside so strong. And then she says, often people think we're not good enough, etc. She goes on and on in this song. And then she says, but I'm going to do it Anyway, and Sizopumelela. Sizopumelela means we're going to succeed. You know, that that song often becomes my war cry. And I always say to, you know, women conferences, etc., that as much as we have to be strong, we equally cannot be too strong to a point where we lose our femininity and we lose who we are as um, as women. And last thing is we are multitaskers of note. <laughs> You know, I think if a nation would be given to a true amazing woman who really wants to make something great of any country, give it to a woman and things will just happen. (laughs) Let us not be deterred. Let us not be discouraged. Let us just push through and make sure that we not only leave, you know, our businesses for our children, but we leave a legacy. Thank you so much, Siva. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I hope your listeners are going to take a thing or two from this interview. They will. Thanks, Siva. That was Siba Untogana, co-founder and CEO, The Siba Co. Recently, Siba was a subject of a Harvard Business School study titled Siba Untogana, a pioneering chef in South Africa. The study is now part of Harvard's academic literature, Big congratulations to Siba. You know, going back to Cape Town is on my bucket list for when we can travel again. And one of my first stops will be Siba the restaurant at the amazing Table Bay Hotel. You should check it out too. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Akego Koye and you have been listening to African Business Stories.